Good morning, y'all. Happy New Year. How are we? My name is Dustin. I get the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here. And so from uh, us to you, we're excited about this morning. Um, one thing I want to celebrate quickly before we get going is uh, we spent about the last five months preaching straight through a book of the Bible, the book of Acts. So um, I know some of you may be tired of it, but we love the Bible around here and we love to teach sermons that start with the Bible and go out rather than having an idea and coming back to the Bible to help support it. Um, and so can we celebrate spending that much time in the book of the Bible? It really is something to something to celebrate. Um, and so uh, if you have your Bible, as you know, we went through the book of Acts. I want you to flip to Acts chapter two. We're going to start back through it um, for the next five. I'm just kidding. Okay. We're not going back through it again, but we are going to be um, in the book of Acts this morning, but for a different purpose, we'll be in Acts chapter two, uh, starting in verse 41. But this morning, uh, we're going to start the new year with really two big ideas. Okay. And so the first one is uh, we want to start with redefining community, not redefining as if we've got it wrong, but just to kind of bring everyone back to the same page on um, why we have small groups, what the purpose is for, what, when the church gathers, what, what are we doing when we gather? What's the purpose of that? Uh, and the other one is, is we want people to be reading the Bible. And so uh, many of you should have got that Bible reading plan on your way in. If you have the website or the app, uh, you can go there and there'll be guided questions every single day to go along with it. And here's why we believe that is there's a huge gap in the amount of people that, um, can, that hear people teach the Bible but versus people who actually read it and understand it themselves. And so one of the things that Jesus taught, and especially Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, is that we're all a royal priesthood. What that means, it's a big doctrinal idea, but all that means is that each of us have the same access to God as the next person. Okay, so I'm not like in a holy club because I'm a preacher. You know what I mean? I'm just like you. I fought with my wife this morning, just like you probably did, okay? We, I, I'm just like you. But the Word of God, we all have equal access to it, and we all need to be in it, okay? It's not just for some people. It's for all of us. We all need to be in it. We all can understand it. And best of all, we all need to apply it to our lives. And so that's where we'll begin. Acts chapter 2 um, will be in there. And so I want to read that, and then we'll jump in. Y'all good with that? Yep, awesome. It'll be behind me if you want to read it there. Some of y'all are staring at me with a blank stare, and I figure you're not looking at me that long. I hope not, anyways. Uh, so, starting verse 41, chapter 2, verse 41. Let me catch you up to where we are. So, uh, Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. Holy Spirit comes. Pentecost happens. That's a big name for it. But the Holy Spirit comes out. People get filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Peter preaches a sermon with a bunch of Jews around and 3,000 people get saved. We'll read that. And then what happens is, is these people don't have the Bible. They didn't say, okay, I'm saved. Now what do I need to do? Okay, when we get saved, when we want to follow Christ, what do we do? We get in the Word or listen to somebody that knows the Bible. That's what our next steps are. These people didn't have the Bible, okay? These people didn't have, this wasn't created until about, or put together until about 300 years later. So we get an account of what they naturally did. What did the first Christians, what did they do? And so we'll dig into that so that we know what to do. We don't want just Dustin's ideas on what to do when we get together. We want what Scripture says on what to do when we gather. And so you'll see that a lot of what we do um, when we gather has to do with this passage. So let's start. Verse 41. Those who accepted his message, Jesus, Peter's message of Jesus dying on the cross, were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 people. That's a lot, okay? People argue over how big Jerusalem was. Some historians say Jerusalem was closer to a million people. Some people say that they were down to like 20,000. That's 
Big difference. They weren't real good at population numbers back then. That's smaller than Vidalia to about four savannas. That's how wide range. We don't really know. The, the best educated guess is there's probably about 100,000 people there, okay? So that's a lot of people getting saved in one sermon, okay? That's like, uh, I don't know, about 10 of these rooms. Everybody, I'm in. I'm a follower of Christ. So a large number of people get saved. And then what happens? This is what they do. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had, nothing, had everything in common. Sorry, They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So that's what the early believers did. We'll pray together and then we'll jump into that and unpack it some and understand what we should do when we gather. Father, we love you. God, I thank you for your grace and mercy. Lord, it's not by my works. It's not by any person's works in here that we could work our way to you. But God, you sent your son to die the death that we deserve and shed blood for for us, God, so that we could have reconciliation to you, to walk in a relationship with you and enjoy you for eternity. And Father, I thank you for that. God, thank you for your uh, revealing yourself to us through your word. Lord, it doesn't come back void. And I pray this morning that we would dive into it accurately, Lord, and that all we say and do would be glorifying to you. Father, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody says amen. Amen. So um, think through this with me. There are things in in church life and probably in your life in general that uh, things that you're open-handed with and things that you're close-handed with, okay? Follow me here. So there are things in life that uh, you don't change on, okay? So like biblical truths, okay? The Bible being true, or uh, Jesus died on the cross for our salvation. We can't work our way to God. He had to come to us. There are things that we hold on to, but there are also things that are loosely held, right? That things that are in our hand, but they don't have to be that way, okay? Take uh, worship, for example, okay? Listen, you don't have to have uh, worship the way we do. You don't have to. We love it, so we do it, obviously, but you don't have to, okay? I don't uh, think that the Apostle Paul had uh, Corbin in the background, you know, like miracle worker, and that's not what the Apostle Paul was doing when he was worshiping. That's not what uh, uh, Augustine was doing when he was worshiping God. That's not how they were doing it, but we can worship God that way. That's a open-handed idea, okay? But there are close-handed ideas, and that are things like what biblical community looks like, okay? What does it look like for a group of people to gather together around the name of Jesus, okay, and worship him? What does it look like when they do that? And so that's what we get outlined here, okay? Um, One of the things I think about when I think about this is when I was in college, I just got saved, and I was in a, a class. Uh, it's called American Religion. It was about how religions came to the U.S. And so I'm in there, and the professor, it had to be strictly for his humor because it absolutely had nothing to do with what we were going to learn. But he had a pretest, and I think it was just questions so that he could make fun of college students, but I don't know that's for sure. Uh, but this is what two of the questions were. I'll never forget them. One of them was, what instruments were in Paul's church? Okay, it was like organ nothing, electric guitar, and a bass, okay? Tons of people circling organs, guitars, and I'm like, listen, organs weren't even introduced to the church until like 800 years after Jesus, okay? One of the the next question, which was probably the best, it said, what version of the Bible did Paul use? 50% of our class circled KJV, 50%. I'm like, listen, 
King James wasn't even alive yet, okay? It's impossible for Paul to have had King James Version, okay? But I say all that to say that there's easy in things that kind of are open-handed, versions of the Bible, and there are things that are close-handed, the truth inside the Bible that we don't go with, okay? Now, here's the goal this morning is that I'm not going to try to convince you that you should be in community. Listen, if you're a believer in here and the Holy Spirit is inside of you, you are made in the image of God and the Spirit is inside of you, that should naturally want you to walk in community. By community, I don't mean just being connected to people on Sundays, okay? I mean people that know you deeply, know your struggles, know what's going on with you. And some of y'all are like, I don't know about that life. Listen, it's what God created us for. He created us so we can know him and be known. And we can't receive love. We can't walk with Christ unless people know us, know our issues, and know what's going wrong with us, going on with us. And so to do that, um, I'm not going to convince you that you need to be in community. I'm going to talk more about what does it look like for people to have biblical community? What does it look like for a group of people to gather around the name of Jesus, to love one another well, to spur one another on, as Hebrew says, to sharpen one another? What does it look like for us to do that? And so to do that, I'm not going to give you my ideas. Um, Dustin's ideas, you normally aren't good. We're going to get them from the Bible. Y'all good with that? All right, so let's read back through it, starting in Acts chapter 2. I'm just going to walk through the text, and then we'll pull four things from it. But follow me here. So, verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized. Okay, one of the reasons we teach baptism after salvation. These people get saved. What's the next step? Going in the water, getting baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So, 3,000 Christians get saved. I explained that. So, what did they do? Important thing, verse 42. They devoted themselves, you can underline this part, to the apostles' teaching. Okay, for us, modern day, if you're thinking through this with me, this is the Bible. Okay, when they put together the Bible, one of the things that had to happen for a book to be put in the Bible is they had to be an apostle. All that means is that they had an encounter with Christ, a physical encounter. They lived at the time that Christ lived. So check this out. Newsflash, Dustin, he can't write books that go in the Bible, okay? I did not have a physical encounter with Christ. I I can't rewrite things and put them in the Bible. But they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, a.k.a. the Bible, and to fellowship. What does fellowship mean? It means they gathered together. Fellowship means face-to-face. It wasn't like, hey, uh, glad to see you. It wasn't like a bump in at Parker's. It was fellowship. They purposely went and saw each other face-to-face and shared time together to the breaking of bread, okay? Think about this. They're eating meals together. It wasn't just, hey, what's up, bro? Shaking your hand. How's Rachel? I saw you tagged her in a post. That's the only reason I know your wife's name, but uh, I'll act like she's one of my good friends, and y'all follow me here. So, So they're actually spending time together. They're sharing meals together. They're truly having community, and the last thing they devoted themselves to was to prayer, They prayed together. So that's the overall what they did. Now they break it down more for us, starting in verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe. Imagine that. People get together. They're reading the Bible. They're sharing one another, pursuing God together. And God gets pictured as this God that we see him. And it fills us with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Verse 44. All the believers were together together and had everything in common. Okay, these people weren't like friends because they all wore jeans and cowboy boots, or they weren't friends because they wore vans and skinny jeans, okay? They were, they had the deepest thing in common in the sense that their eternities were matched. You follow me here? Like what we wear, 
the football team we like, these things are earthly. They will pass away. The, the, the community we have with believers will last an eternity, not 70 years, but more like 70 billion and on and on and on years. You follow me here? They had deep things in common. Verse 45, what did these people do? They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Check this out. They spent so much time together, they knew each other's needs. Clear distinction here. They didn't know each other's wants, okay? Or they, they knew each other's wants, but they helped each other with their needs, okay? This is a big issue. Some people are like, well, the church should just uh, give money to everybody who asks. Well, this is what they need, okay? Listen, they spent so much time with each other. If they saw you drive up in a 2019 F-250s with 35s on it, and then you couldn't pay rent, they were probably like, hey, that ain't a need, bro. You know what I mean? They're like thinking through this with them. They spend enough time together that they could distinguish between what was a need and what was a want. You follow me here? There's a big difference in that. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, okay? They ate together in our small groups, what we call connect groups. I may refer to them as that, but they meet during the week in homes. Why do we meet in homes? They met in homes. Why do we read the Bible? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Why do we share meals together? They broke bread and ate together. Okay, you follow me here? This aren't Dustin's ideas. This aren't somebody's great. This is just what they did. Um, one of the things I've got to do, you guys, is walking around getting ready to share uh, or plan a church is I've got to share with uh, other churches and other people of what we're going to do. And I'll be sharing sometimes, and they're like, well, in your groups, what curriculum are y'all going to use? And I'm like, the Bible? They look at me like I'm like that tall. You know what I mean? It's like, what else are we going to use? You know, like they expect this long, deep study of something. I'm like, look, this is what is sufficient for our spiritual growth to know God, okay, is to get in the word, understand it, and apply it to our life. That's why we stick to it. Listen, if everybody in your group, we say this all the time, if everybody in your group's on the verge of divorce, probably not a bad idea to do a marriage study. But the best way to know how to serve your wife and keep your marriage together is not by some great person's ideas, but by what the Bible says, right? The best thing to do with parenting, if everybody in your, everybody's in your group, if they're all hoodlums, what are you going to do? You're going to do a parenting study. But what you need to do is get in the Bible. Okay, there's lots of text about that. The Bible is sufficient for all things, so we devote ourselves to it. So everything we do comes from that, including breaking bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. If you want to underline a part there, probably the part we struggle with most, if we're honest, is glad and sincere hearts. You know what I mean? Some of y'all are like, in your group text, uh, so-and-so's coming tonight, I don't know if I want to go. You got to be glad, okay? If your bond is Christ, we're not choosing who we're going to have fellowship and who we're not, okay? Earthly things, business, life, rec ball teams, the umpire that made a bad decision. If he's a Christian, your bond in Christ has to supersede anything else if we're going to have true biblical community, amen? Because it's based on something eternal, not something earthly. So they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So what happened then? Verse 47. They praised God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And what happened? The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So what happens when the church gathers accurately, when people pursue God together, when they read the Bible together, when they pray for lost people? It grows. 
People see it. They see attractive relationships. They see Christ as more like a magnet than the opposite side of the magnet that repels from one another. They want to be a part of it. True biblical community is one of the best apologetics for the church. It's what attracts people to it. So four things quickly I want to introduce you to that we're going to pull from here and unpack and I'm going to show you a diagram in a second that will help you. But four things that we'll pull from here that we do with our community that comes straight from this. The first one is unity in Christ. Christ was the center. Christ was their foundation. They had unity in Christ. They all received the message. That's where that comes from. Number two is they had a biblical foundation. They weren't like, hey, let's get together and let's hear what Dustin has to say or let's hear what Rachel, Dustin's wife, has to say. Y'all don't need to hear what we have to say. We need to get into this because this is what's going to sustain us. Number three, they had genuine relationships. They weren't just having relationships that were out there or they didn't really know each other. They weren't just commenting on each other's Facebook statuses. They knew each other well. And then the fourth one is they had a common mission, a common goal. They came together for a purpose that wasn't about them. They realized that their salvation was about God and bringing more people to worship that God alongside of them. So I want to throw a Venn diagram up there and work with you through it quickly because it'll help unpack all four of these things, okay? Here it is. So holistic discipleship. So that looks very complicated. We're going to work our way through it quickly and then we'll get done or we'll... we'll kind of go through individually. So the first one, start, middle, out, center, Christ, okay? Christ is our goal. When you get saved, spirit in you, it's leading you to be like Christ. So that's our goal. Well, in our community, when we gather with one another, we want Christ to be the center of our community. So that's what it looks like. So that's kind of divided in three ways, okay? The three things we told you. The first one is genuine relationships, which we call personal, okay? This is where you have Real relationships. This is heart-based. This is heart-to-heart, real stuff. This is struggling with, what sins are you struggling with? What, how's your marriage? What are the deep things going on with you? You're, you're very transparent, okay? The other side of that is, though, you can have deep community, but you cannot have Bible, okay? That's what depth is, is we've got to understand the Bible. We don't want to build on something that's not going to be a good foundation. Listen, Dustin's ideas and thoughts will be swept away with the first big storm, but the Bible will stand forever. These are transcendent truths, okay? So we have to have some depth. We've got to have some foundation. And then the bottom one, the last one, is being missional, okay? That means that we're turned outward. We're not a church, a group of people linked arms turning inward, but a group of people linked arms turning outward, okay? And so what happens is, is I quickly want to show you what happens when you have two, but not all three, okay? So take the top two. Say that you're personal, you have good relationships with people, and you know the Bible a lot, okay? But you're not turned outward, you're turned inward. What does that make us? That top middle section, it says it makes us a selfish Christian. We're turned inward, and it means we don't really care about lost people. Okay, that's not who we want to be. It says that when they did this, the Lord added to their number daily. Okay, so what happens if we have depth, we know a lot, we know the Bible, and we tell people about it, but our life doesn't look like Jesus. Ever met somebody like that? They're really sour. You don't want to be around them, but they know the whole Bible and they tell everybody about it, but you just don't really want to be around them. What that makes them is a hypocritical Christian. They talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. You follow me here? So when one is missing, it throws everything off. The other one is, say you have really good community and you invite people in, and so it's this great big hangout, but there's no Bible. What are we teaching people? We're, we're creating shallow Christians with no foundation and we're teaching them to build on sand, 
Okay, so that's why all of these things have to come together for us to have accurate biblical community. If not, if one's missing, we'll become something we don't want to be. And so we want to be as close to the early church as we can. Amen. We don't want my ideas. We don't want your ideas. Newsflash. We want Bible ideas. Okay. And so that's where this is created from. That's where it comes from. So the first one here, unity in Christ. It says they had Christ in common. They had everything in common. It said when they received the message, they were together. They immediately started coming together. Listen, people with a bond outside of this world, Christ in eternity, can't be broken by things inside of this world. Okay, so if we have a bond bigger than anything this earth can offer, then nothing inside the earth can break the bond we have with one another. The bad umpire that makes a call on Tuesday night at your game, it's not worth breaking a Christian bond with. You follow me here? Or the person that you think treated your child bad 20 years ago, that's not worth breaking a Christian bond with. You lovingly go to them and say, hey, you hurt my feelings. I love you. I forgive you. Hey, our bond's in Christ. And you hug and kiss and then we move on because our bond in Christ is bigger and better than anything else. Amen. That's the place we have to get to. Listen, this is what leads us in our church right now to having people with PhDs who have uh, three houses to somebody who didn't even graduate high school, but um, is struggling just to pay their rent. You know what I mean? Like you have somebody with half a million dollars a year, making half a million dollars a year, who has three houses, has a house on St. Simon's and Daytona and all these great things. And you have the person who is working at a fast food restaurant who asked their landlord to post date their check. You know what I mean? Like we can have community with both types of people. Listen, because our bond is not how much money we make, but the price that Jesus paid to secure us all on the cross. Amen. It doesn't matter where we fall in between there. Listen, unity in Christ is what drives diversity for the church. You should be able to sit in a living room, a dining room table at a restaurant with people that are not like you, not the same color as you, don't make the same amount of money as you, don't smell like you, and you should be able to love them like a brother and sister in Christ just because they're not like you. Amen? Listen, this is what drives our desire for diversity. Revelation 7, 9 says, all people of all tribes and tongues and nations of this world will be worshiping. Listen, the cross wasn't just for middle-class white people with Tahoes and jacked up trucks, and neither will our church be. The cross was for addicts, Hispanics, teachers, African-Americans, divorcees, single moms, single dads, millionaires, McDonald's employees, teachers, nurses, felons, and yes, even gingers. And that is what makes the cross attractive. Listen, It's a symbol that reminds us it's not about what you've done. It's about what Christ has done for you. It's a symbol showing the debt that every person should receive, but instead he received for us. It's a symbol that bonds together the outcasts and the famous. It's a symbol that reminds us that we are not that great and that Jesus is. It's a symbol that puts us on our knees in worship of the only one who could take the sins of every person on this earth. And that is the symbol that bonds us together, church. Amen. Amen. We can clap for that. Listen, gospel unity brings all types of people together, and we have to understand that. And this is the last thing I'll leave us with on this point, is that doesn't happen through Facebook posts and pulpits. That happens through living rooms and dining rooms right? This can't be a corporate idea that we love to say. This has got to be something that we individually embrace. Like we have to, when we run into somebody who doesn't look like us at Parker's, we have to love them, 
pay for it. If we wanna pay for their stuff, we have to hold the door for them. We have to treat them like human beings that have the same identity you do because your identity is not greater than theirs because of how much money you make or what color your skin is, amen? We have to individually get to a place where we're living like this, where we're loving towards all people, not just people that are like us, amen? And so when we have that type of bond, you guys, we come in here and it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if somebody walks in that doesn't have any money. It doesn't matter if somebody walks in that's not of the majority color of our church. We love them because Christ died on the cross for them just as much as he did me. Number two is this, is we have to have a biblical foundation. We have to have depth. We have to have something that we're working to. This is that depth portion. It says that they leaned on the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to it. They were in it. They wanted it together. Listen, what I mean is that we are only as strong as what holds us together. We can't have a bunch of little uh, smart people, people that, smart, people that think they're smart, have their ideas in group being passed around, okay? Because our ideas are not right. Dustin's ideas are wrong. You don't need my ideas. My ideas are biased. My ideas are sinful because I'm sinful. Nothing from me can ever be perfectly pure because it's coming from a person that is impure, right? Same with you. So we don't need Dustin's ideas. We need Bible. We need that to be our foundation to where we're pointing people to. Think about this with me. This is a big issue. If, if we have no foundation, just think through this with me. Y'all. If we have no foundation, it leads to really big issues. I want to share something or think of, help you think through this with me with an example of abortion. Listen, if you had an abortion, we love you. We want to help you through it. Um, if you're thinking about that, we want to have people that can help you. We love you. But just think through how our culture has gotten to this place. What happens is instead of having a creator that gives us our identity, we think that we get our identity just by how awesome we are or that we're God or because we're really smart. And so what happens is, is we essentially becomes our, become our own gods. What I want to do when I want to do it all the time. And if you don't think like I do, then you're wrong because I'm God and you're not, right? So we get on this thought process of thinking like that. Well, here's the big issue. What if the other person thinks like that? You, know, you got two gods that don't like each other. Well, that ain't the case. You know what I mean? You can't have two people that just believe separately, okay? Take myself and Blake. We agree on a lot. Well, eventually we're going to disagree on something. What's going to happen then? Well, it's not that one of us are smarter than the other and we need to, I'm smarter than you, so you need to listen to me, or he's smarter than you, so you need to listen to him. We need to come to the foundation that won't let us down, amen? So when we apply this to group, listen, you don't need people in group. You don't need people in your life that just give you good wisdom, that call you on the phone and say, hey, I think you should do this. You need people that our biblical community, your Bible-based faith family, your church family should point you to scripture more than they do their own ideas, okay? If they're giving you wisdom that's not matching with this, it's not wisdom, amen? So we've got to get people to a place where that's our foundation, y'all. Listen, this is why everything we do starts and ends with scripture. Listen, it scares me to death to get up here and have Dustin's idea and then get a couple verses and preach back to the Bible with a couple verses of Dustin's idea. Listen, Our idea of preaching and what your idea of preaching and what good preaching should be to you is when somebody takes a passage holistically and builds their sermon from it. They teach you what it means and they're pulling pieces out and helping explain it to you. You don't need somebody's ideas. You need Bible, right? You need the only true creator. You need the one who made you and sustains you every day. You need his ideas that he's revealed to us in the Bible. Amen? Amen? Amen. Awesome. All right. So, move forward. So, I was thinking through this and I was thinking, could you imagine having community without that? Could you imagine walking in and just hanging out with one another forever and never getting to scripture? Like, 
Listen, this is how we know what we should even do when we get together. You know what I mean? This is how we know what we're doing is right. This is how we know that uh, anything that we do as a church, this is where we get it from. If it's not in there, then us as the church are getting it wrong. Us as believers are getting it wrong. This is Martin Luther, the great reformer. This is what he says. It is the promises of God, a.k.a. the Bible, that make the church and not the church that makes the promises of God. Okay, so we don't build up who God is in our mind and say, well, I think God is like this, so we should do this as a church. You know what I mean? Or it's not like, I think God thinks it's okay if I walk in sin, so let me just walk in sin. Listen, no, we can't think like that. It's the promises of God that tell us what to do. It's the word of God that we align to. We don't take this and shape it and help it fit our lives so that we can be lifted higher. We take this and get on our knees so that we can lift Jesus higher, amen? That's the place that we've got to get to. It's so easy to not. It's so easy to fall into a place where that's not our foundation. We have to get to co- get community with people that aren't just like us, but people that we point one another with to Scripture. I want to introduce a Venn diagram to you quickly. That, And this is just what we do in groups. So if you're not in a group, listen, next week you'll have an awesome opportunity to meet our group leaders. What that means is they're going to be hanging out here. They're normal people, They, um, but they want you to be in their small group. This is not something that we uh, push because we think it helps us in any way. It really doesn't. We want you to be in small group or connect group because we believe that it's for you. We believe it helps you, okay? This is strictly something we do because as believers, we're created to be in it. And so what do we do in those groups? You're like, okay, I'm walking up to my buddy's house, don't know what we're doing. This is what we do. Check this out. Everything we do comes from this Acts 2 passage. We didn't reinvent the wheel, so to speak. So what do we do? This is a one-hour meeting. So the first hour, you'll spend eating together. Breaking of bread is what the Bible says. We eat meals together, we hang out. The first 25 minutes is care time. Or if you see the blue over there, I guess more like the purple one on the left, personal. This is personal time. This is the sins you're fighting. So in a one hour's time, we have 25 minutes built in so that you can have real community with one another. Listen, you can't help people. You can't love people well. You can't pray for people well if you don't know what's going on in their life. So newsflash, if you're in here and you're in a group and you get to share time and you're talking for about 20 minutes, it's only designed for 25, all right? So group leaders probably not loving you in that moment. You know what I mean? So there's other people in there. Y'all aren't buying this. It's funny, are you? So, but just be, just be time thinking, okay? So uh, you're not the only one with problems. We'll get to that in a second, okay? So uh, care. Well, what do we do then? We don't want to just hang out. I mean, it's not like hangout hour. So what do we do? We want to get into growth. We want to get into the Bible, which is depth. We want you to study the Bible with one another. We don't want you to have somebody's ideas. We just want you to read the Bible and study it and then apply it to your life with other people. Listen, that's one of the greatest things. It's not meant for one person to come and preach you a sermon. It's meant for you to study the Bible together and understand it and help one another apply it to your life. And then the last one is you pray for lost friends, right? You want to be missional. You don't want to get so caught up in this being about us that you're 10 people huddled together and a new person comes in and they feel like an outsider. No, the new person in your group should feel like the most important person. You should love them, invite them in. You should help them become acquainted with everybody in there. That's what that time should look like. Listen, that missional part is one of the greatest parts. I'll never forget being in college. And one of my buddies, his name was Andrew, and he was praying for his buddy named Dave. He always sat like two seats from me. And we'd go around in the group, Lord, I pray for Dave. Lord, I pray that you'd give me opportunity to share with him or that he would take a next step somehow, show interest in Christ. And well, one day Dave shows up to group, kind of awkward. Okay, so we get to prayer time. 
He like, Lord, I pray, and he looks up, and I'm like, don't you say Dave. You know what I mean? I'm like, this is going to be real awkward. Lord, I pray you help Dave get here. Like, you know, and he's chilling over there with us, but I don't remember what happened, honestly. But I just think, you know, it's, it's really cool when you pray for people and God starts working in their life. You know what I mean? Like you see people far from God, start taking steps closer to God and you start seeing them grow. There's power in that. And there's power in it because you're getting to play a part in it. And if you're not playing a part and being missional and you're a Christian, there's a whole absence of joy missing from your life because God created part of your joy to come through you seeing other people come to know Christ. He's got it rigged. It's pretty smart. So that's the one hour setup. That's what we do. And so if you're not a part of one of those, listen, I would love to help you do that. And next Sunday is the Sunday to do that. So we've got to get to a place where the Bible is important. And that's what we're after. Number three, genuine relationships. What does that mean? What does it look like for us to have real relationships in here? It's an easy thing, but verses 44 through 46, I want to just quickly read those again. But it says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Listen, these group of people weren't just connected. They had community. You know what I mean? Think about this with me. I looked it up so I wouldn't be wrong, by the way. But there's like 2.7 billion people who get on Facebook once a month. That's between a third and a half of the population. So not just an American thing. There's other countries, get on there too, okay? So 2.7 million. But what that does is, is it's made us the most connected generation ever, but we have the least amount of community than we ever have. You know what I mean? Like it used to be when they, before they had cell phones, I don't know when those were invented. They didn't look that up for you, I'm sorry. But before they had phones or even cell phones, if you heard through somebody else that somebody was sick or that they were going through something really hard, you didn't get on their Facebook status and be like, praying for you, bro. You know what you did to pray for them? You drove to their house and prayed for them. You know what I mean? But what do we do? Praying for you, wishing you the best. You know, like, well, I don't know what we say, but it's something so that we don't have to come face to face with them. We, we want to kind of ignore what real community would look like. We're the most connected people, but we're also the most absent of community people, if that's such a phrase. But this is what I want you guys to think about. Because we're so connected and we lack in community, we always put our best foot forward, okay? So we post pictures of when we look the best that some photographer spent seven hours editing, okay? And we post them out to people and we're like, hey, this is me and my life, you know? And, and, but we, we put our best picture forward or our best, best foot forward. And so we create this identity that we want people to see us as. And what eventually happens is you have this fake Dustin and then you have the real Dustin, or you have this great Dustin and you have the real Dustin. Okay. And that's what it creates. Well, here's the issue with that is it leads you to being socially, uh, psychologically, emotionally unhealthy. And you say, well, why is that? Why can't people just know the best side of me? And here's why. You, number one, you were created to be known by God. But number two is this. If somebody only knows 80% of your life and they don't know the other 20%, you will convince yourself that they wouldn't really love you if they knew the other 20%. And so what happens is, is maybe you share 99%, but you've never shared something. If they knew that, I'm out. You know what I mean? They would never talk to me again. I wouldn't have any friends left. 
Here's the deal. You've already convinced yourself. So when you do that in your head, you can't give love accurately because you're giving love to a false person and you can't receive love accurately because you're receiving love to a false person. Until somebody truly knows who you are, you can't be loved. And therefore you can't have genuine community with people that don't really know your life. Okay, listen, this leads us to that. And here's the best part. The last thing I wanna share with this is it leads us to a place where we can hold each other accountable, where we can love each other well is what I call it. Listen, I don't love my son if I don't help him not get caught doing things he shouldn't be doing, like playing in the street, you know what I mean? But this is what I want you to think about. One of the things that I've, I've done with my group and I help them do to help not try not for us to put our best foot forward is John Wesley had a, a, a list of questions. He's an old church guy, okay? That had a list of questions and they're monumental for us, okay? They make so much sense. But this was the first question, y'all, that he asked himself every day when he woke up. Am I consciously or unconsciously, on purpose or not on purpose, but am I consciously or unconsciously creating the impression that I am better than I really am? In other words, am I a hypocrite? He just gets to the point. I, I didn't say that. It's John Wesley. Be mad at him. He's dead. Okay. So, but regardless, we've got to get to a place where we're honest with each other. Am I consciously doing this? Listen, for some of us in here, it's unconsciously. We do this, but we don't realize it. We share 80%. Listen, some of us have gone to small groups so much and got so used to sharing 80% of what's going on in our life that we don't really know what it's like to share 100%. And it's gonna take like a, a hard jerk to jerk ourselves out of that. But you've gotta get to a place where it's normal. Listen, if you're not honest, you can't grow. Your growth will only equal as honest as you are with other people. James 5, 16 says that when we confess our sins with one another, full healing can happen, okay? Because you won't be loved for what you've done. We gotta get to a place that does this. The next thing and last thing I wanna share, I hit on it just a second ago, is we've gotta get to a place that we love people like Christ does. Listen, one of the things that Christ did is Christ didn't pat everybody on the butt and say, your thinking is great and your actions are great. You know what I mean? He spent a lot of time correcting people. Now, what I will say is when people are walking in sin, it's not our job to run over there and beat them with a Bible and then turn around and walk the other way. It is our job to lovingly come to them, share with them what they're doing wrong and love them and walk beside them. But here's the deal. If you do that with people you don't already have real community with, they're gonna run a million miles an hour from you. You follow me with this? They've got to know that you love them. And the only way they know that you love them is if you're actively loving them. We can't be the church and type of people that's like, hey, you're doing this wrong. Let's go get them. You know what I mean? That's not, we have to love people well. In doing that, we have to love them for who they are. And then we have to be willing to take steps that are sometimes awkward to help them do that. Listen, one of my really good friends I grew up with, I was marrying him and his wife. And when I do marriage counseling, it's always a really cool thing. But um, him and his wife would sometimes stay together. You know, it's normal in our culture, have sex before, live before, stay the night with each other before. It's just a normal thing. And so um, anytime I do marriage counseling with them, I don't say, hey, ultimatum, if you don't quit this, I'm not marrying you. I never do that. But however, I will say, hey, I don't think it's God's design for you to do this. Okay. However, I want to help you, tell you why, show you why, help love on you. But I want you, I want this for you. I want you to take a step of obedience so that you can help you. It's not like I'm not loving them. I'm still going to do their wedding. A lot of people honestly ignore me. Some stupid redheaded guy trying to tell me what to do. But this guy I talked to this last week, 
One of my good friends I grew up with, married him two years ago, I told him that the same thing before they uh, got married. And he said that it basically started a landslide of obedience. He took one step of obedience and it started allowing more and more and more. And what happened is, is they realized they were shortcutting God everywhere. You know what I mean? It's like, well, I'm going to marry this person anyways. Why can't? Well, you're shortcutting God. Women, if you're dating somebody who's going to shortcut God now, they're going to shortcut God a different way when you marry him. There's good marriage advice from Uncle Dustin. Okay. I don't know what you want to call it. Okay. But listen, if people are shortcutting God now, it's going to manifest itself later. Listen, guys, if she's willing to do something with you now that you need to do in your marriage, she probably ain't the one because she's not comfortable enough in her identity to tell you no. Listen, that's what led me back to my wife. She finally, she got saved. I kept being an idiot. You know what she did? Gone. Somebody sang a country song about that, I think, didn't they? Right? But what happened is, is she finally put her foot down. I'm a believer in Christ. I'm not going to walk in sin with you. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me because you know what it did? Number one, God saved me in the middle of that. But number two, it led to a landslide of obedience that her and I have taken. And we've seen God do major things through our obedience. Amen? And so it starts leading, but it's the first step, that willing to be awkward, that, that loving people hard sometimes. Listen, if you struggle with that, if you're the type that would share that with somebody and then they fly off the handle and you cuss them out and don't tell them what you don't need to say, listen, that's probably not ready for you yet. You're probably not the one for the job yet. But if you're good at keeping your cool, if you're a mature believer, you can help people do these things. Listen, do it. Love people well. We're not loving people like Christ if we let them do whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it. That's what Christ came to do. We have to love people well, which means love them like Christ. Fourth thing is this, and then we'll finish up. Is We have a common mission together. The primary purpose of this is to realize that we're not merely safe to sit around with one another and just enjoy each other. Our comfort can't come before our mission. Listen, it's really easy for our groups to do this and for us to do this. It's easy to get to a place where we're comfortable. If so-and-so comes, it's going to be awkward. Listen, we've got to get to a place where sharing Christ and being in an uncomfortable environment that glorifies God is more important to us because we care more about God's glory and him getting worshiped than we do our own personal preferences. And so what happens is, is we get to a place, especially in groups and in church, where we're willing to let go when it's hard sometimes. It's bittersweet. Listen, some people in here, y'all, have been in like seven small groups, not by choice. Their small group grows, they love each other well, they shed tears, and then they multiply into another group. So that one group becomes two. That's what's happened with our church. One became two, two became four, four became like 10. And now we're at like 30 groups from just people just, I'm growing, we need more space. And what it is, is just trying your hardest. Listen, it's not, it's not easy. Trying your hardest to put God's mission before your comfort. It's the same thing with my wife and I going to plant a church. Listen, we love it here. Our best friends are here now. We, our child has grown up with people here. We know y'all the best. We don't know those people great. But God's mission has to be greater than our comfort. It's the same thing with Micah and Lauren going to Africa. Listen, they're comfortable, good jobs, good education. But hey, 
God's mission is more important than my comfort. Listen, not saying that all of us are created to do those things, but what I'm saying is in our individual life, we have to get to a place where we're okay with making decisions that puts God's mission over our comfort. Amen? And here's what I want to leave you with. I want to just quickly bounce back through, and you can bow your head, you can look at me, it really don't matter, but I just want to try to give you some easy application to think through this. But I want you to think about those areas the, the personal area, the, the care area, the depth area, the Bible area, and the missional area. Those three things. And I want you to ask yourself, which one do you need to grow the most in right now? Listen, some of us in here, and this is okay, the idea of giving up a Friday night to hang out with somebody who's not a believer because we can go hang out at a restaurant with them and try to be missional, try to build a relationship that Christ or build a bridge that Christ can walk across, that's foreign to us. We've been so caught up in our, we're young family, we're, we're retired now, we have grandkids to spend time with, we're young family, we have kids to spend time with. Listen, I understand, but one night a month is not gonna take away from God's mission. You can, listen, maybe it's as you go. Maybe, listen, maybe this year, I don't know what sport's coming up, soccer, baseball, Maybe God doesn't just randomly place your son on so-and-so's team. Maybe he puts your son on so-and-so's team so that you can lead so-and-so's parents to the Lord. How crazy would it be if God was sovereign like that? You know what I mean? But what it's gonna take is your faithfulness to saying God's doing this so that I can be missional in it. We've gotta be faithful on our, on our end. We've gotta share Christ. We've gotta be willing to have awkward conversations. The next one is personal. Listen, let me just be man to man, men to men, men in here. Maybe, I, I'm, I'm guilty of this. This is why I say this. Maybe we're guilty of making everybody in our life feel intimidated around us, our wife. Maybe we're not married, our girlfriend, our friends. They're all kind of intimidated that we, we show no humility that they wouldn't speak into our life where it needs to be spoken into. Hey, Dustin, you're getting prideful here. You need to probably be careful. It's not easy to hear as a man. But if you don't have people in your life as a man who you let speak into your life as a man, you're not gonna grow as a man. Listen, following Jesus is not easy. I'll show you a man that's followed the world for 40 years. I'll show you, eh, he's all right. Show me a man, some men in this church that have followed the Lord for 40 plus years. That's a man. It ain't easy to get up and humble yourself every single morning and say, I should be on the cross, but you went to the cross for me. You do that for 40 plus years, there's probably some built-in humility. You know what I'm saying? But we've got to get to a place that that's happening in us so that men can speak in our lives. Listen, our wives can be the greatest thing that's happened to us. We treat them like they're the worst a lot. It's easy. They can help us. Wives, you're not his Holy Spirit, but you can help him. You don't have to tell him everything he does wrong. Try to tell him at least as many good things as you do bad things, you know what I mean? But help him, love him well. Last one is depth. Listen, I'll be honest with you. I won't make you put your hands up, but I don't, I don't know how many of you in here have actually read your Bible and understand it and applied it. You don't have to listen to us every week teach you. You can build in time now that you can get in the Bible. You don't have to believe what we say just because we say it. Hopefully you believe it because we get it from Scripture. But you can understand doctrine. You can understand who God is and how God works and why God did this and why God didn't do this. 
We're a royal priesthood. You're, it's not like there's pastors and elders and connect group leaders and holy people up here and then the rest of the people are down here. It says in Ephesians 2 that when Christ saved us, he seated us all in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. That means that we all went from dead to the bottom of the ocean. Christ, he didn't come by and just throw a life raft out at us for us to swim to. No, he dove down, brought us out while we were still dead, put us on land, and he breathed life into us. It's a picture of salvation you see in Ephesians 2. And when he breathed life in us, he didn't say, hey, you're going to struggle for a while and then you're going to get your reward. He says, no, right now you've been seated equal with Christ. We're royal priests, meaning we're all a royal priesthood, meaning we all have the same access to God. There's not other people in here that are more holy. I don't go in my closet from 12 a.m. to 3 a.m. and sit down and, you know, like do weird stuff. Don't do it. But you can have the same access if you prioritize reading your Bible. It's how God's revealed himself to you. It's how he speaks. The voice of God probably won't be anything random. Right? You see those little memes. Half of them are very not good theology. So be careful with those memes, okay? But some of them are like, hey, you're asking for God to speak and you hadn't opened your Bible yet. It's a pretty good meme. You know what I mean? Like he's given it to us. We have to study. You can understand it. Make it a priority. If you're going to do anything, I would say this. If, if, if you are making New Year's resolutions, make reading your Bible daily your number one. Everything else will fall around. If you want to be a better dad? Get in your Bible. It might help you. You want to understand why you should work out and that should be your New Year's resolution? Well, because the Bible says that your body was made as a temple and you should take care of it. Not so you can look good in the bathroom for yourself, I guess. You know what I mean? But seriously, like, get in the scriptures. It's where life is found. They won't return void. So which one of those three? Is it having real relationships with people? Finding an accountability partner? Is it reading your Bible? Or is it turning outward? Is it trying to be missional? But one of those three areas, listen, none of us are 10, 10, 10. Most of us are probably more like 2, 2, 2. But we have to find one and let's focus on it so that we can grow in Christ. Amen? Let's pray together and we'll go. Father, thank you for your love and your mercy. God, we know that, God, even when we strive, our New Year's resolutions aren't enough. God, even death itself is coming. God, it's times we get the most philosophical. Was the, is the world going to end? Think about that at the new year, what resolutions we need to make. But Lord, I just pray that, God, every one of us in here would prioritize you, not in a cliche way, not, but in a real way. God, we prioritize having God-centered community. God, we prioritize having biblical relationships, prioritize your mission in our life. God, in the everyday, in the normal, on Monday night, on Monday at work, on Tuesday at work. God, help us to, God, in our normal times, for you to be what's first on our mind. And Lord, thank you for these people here. God, thank you that I get to do life with them. God, some of my best friends are out there right now. Lord, I thank you for them. I thank you for the accountability they are to me. And God, just 
God, grow our church, grow us. God, we want to be a vessel for you to be glorified through. God, we want to see this community change. And Lord, I just thank you for what you did on the cross for us. That allows for all of this to happen. God, help help your blood that you shed for us compel and propel us to worship you more. Father, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys so much. See you next Sunday.